Why are we here? What's life all about? Is God really real? Or is there some doubt? Well, tonight we're going to sort it all out. For tonight, it's the meaning of life. Welcome to Where There's Smoke, the show where we explore self-development through the lens of current events, sports, and pop culture. My name is Brett Gaida, and I am your host. In this episode, I might be getting a little too big for my britches. I mean, when I realized I was tackling the meaning of life four episodes in, I thought, eh, maybe not such a good idea. I mean, best case scenario, we solve it. And then we're done after four episodes. I mean, where do you go from there? Or after having an incredible start, And I'll state here that we so appreciate the feedback and the support that we have been getting from listeners out there. You guys have been absolutely amazing. We have genuinely just been humbled and blown away. And we feel such a responsibility to to keep the bar at the level you tell us we've raised it to. And so after having that incredible start, I fall flat on my face in episode four. So it's a no-win situation, really. I mean, we either have the greatest episode ever uncover the meaning of life and we're done, or we fall flat on our face and lose half our listenership. But what's the alternative? Lay up like David Sims? I mean, no way. Where There's Smoke is the Roy McAvoy of podcasts. He's right. You're right, Roy. Just knock it on. Let her rip. And besides, I got to go with what the zeitgeist gives me. And this episode started for me about two weeks ago when I saw a video that went semi-viral where a six-year-old, well, actually, (laughs) asked astrophysicist and all-around cool dude Neil deGrasse Tyson this question. (laughs) To which Neil first responded, Okay, if you're asking those questions now, (laughs) you'll be the deepest thinking adult there ever was. As much as I respect Neil, I thought maybe we'll explore a couple of other sources for the answer first. As you heard in the opening, Monty Python made a movie called The Meaning of Life. So surely the answer's there. Now, uh, Harry, you've had some thoughts on this? That's right, yeah. I've had a team working on this over the past few weeks, and uh, what we've come up with can be reduced to two fundamental concepts. One, people are not wearing enough hats. Two, matter is energy. Okay, you can't see me, but I've now put on a hat, so I think we're closer. But wait, wasn't this question answered already? It it was, by the second greatest computer in the universe, Deep Thought. All right. The answer to the ultimate question of life, the universe, and everything is... Forty-two. Hmm, no. Unfortunately, without knowing the question, that one's not much help either. Which actually brings up a good point. Perhaps we're asking the wrong questions. Maybe a better question than what's the meaning of life is why are we asking the question? You ever notice you don't care so much about the meaning of life when you feel you are living a life on purpose? When you're loving your business, when things are going well, when you're happy? Why is that? Well, let's go to the place where we probably should have started in the first place. I mean, we have a place, a resource where all of the answers exist to every single question we have. Of course, we will go to Wikipedia. 
Now, Wikipedia states, The meaning of life is a philosophical and spiritual question concerning the significance of life or existence in general. It can be expressed in different forms such as, why are we here? What is life all about? And what is the purpose of existence? Now, for most people I know who ask themselves a version of that question, what's the meaning of life? It's not a metaphysical question on the significance of life or the existence of mankind. It's more of an interpersonal question of the significance of my life and the existence of me. Why are we here is more like, why am I here? What is life all about translates into, what is my life all about? What is the purpose of existence becomes, what is my purpose? Most people I encounter asking these questions are not curious about the universe itself so much as their own life. Here at Where There's Smoke, we have no problem waxing on and off about the philosophical ideals of life, as long as we keep that conversation tethered and then bring it down to the ground where we can provide real-world, tangible, applicable ideas that you can implement. And so here, I'm going to talk about the meaning of life not from the standpoint of which maybe a philosopher or an astrophysicist think about it, but from the standpoint of what I hear many of you thinking about. With that, let's go back to Neil and see what his response was. So, so what is the meaning of life? I think people ask that question on the assumption that meaning is something you can look for, and then, oh, I found it. Here's the meaning, here's what it is. I've been looking for it, okay? And it doesn't consider the possibility that maybe meaning in life is something that you create you manufacture for yourself and for others. And so ah, now that's cool. Why? Because if we create it, if we manufacture it, then we control it. And I think that is perhaps the first thing to understand about this idea of meaning in our life. I'll also suggest for the sake of this exploration that when people speak of meaning in this way, interpersonally about themselves, they are often talking about things like a sense of purpose, fulfillment, and a feeling of happiness in their lives. So I want to explore that. And there are infinite reasons why this may matter to you. First off, I don't think there's anyone listening right now who hasn't struggled with a sense of purpose or fulfillment in their life, or perhaps is struggling with it right now. And even when we find it, we often lose it again. But also realize that your effectiveness, your productivity, your creativity, your ability to inspire and influence others, it's all fueled by your state, your attitude, how you feel. Happiness is a powerful fuel when it comes to success. When you ever try to bring your A-game into something when you're upset, sad, stressed, hurt, it's hard. I'd actually risk hyperbole to say it's impossible. So understanding how you can better control this sense in yourself this sense of purpose, fulfillment, happiness, it's priceless. And lastly, each of you interact with people every day in your lives and businesses who themselves might be struggling, in a rut, stuck. And if you had some tools or insights you could provide to them, perhaps you could help them move through it. So let's see if we can identify some of those tools and insights, or at the very least, find some hints. We control it. We manufacture it. And then Neil said this. And so when I think of meaning in life, I ask, uh, have I learned something today that I didn't know yesterday? If I live a day and I don't know a little more that day than the day before, I think I wasted that day. 
Write that down. Knowledge. That's hint number one. These words also reminded me of something that I heard Tony Robbins say years ago, and I have repeated it to myself thousands of times. When people ask me, what does it take to be happy? I always tell them one word, progress. Progress equals happiness. Even if you're not where you want to be yet, if you're on the road, if you're improving, if you're making progress, you're going to love it. You're going to feel alive. On the other hand, progress equals happiness. And progress can look a lot of different ways. As Neil said, progress can be, hey, I learned something new today. You know, when I put my head on the pillow at night to go to sleep, I know more now than I did when I took it off my pillow this morning. Or maybe it's more tangible than that. Maybe I'm building something. Maybe I'm building a fence. Right now, it's 15 feet long. I wake up, I work all day, and when I go to bed, it's 25 feet long. Progress. I feel good about myself. Happy. Or maybe you're starting a business or a new project. You got hundreds of things to do, and it's overwhelming. You wake up and you think, how the heck am I going to get all this done? So you prioritize it. You figure out what's most important, and from there you figure out what must get done today, and you get some stuff done. And even if you don't get it all done, you put your head on your pillow and you know you made progress. But knowledge doesn't just provide a feeling of progress. It also brings a cornucopia of new thoughts, ideas, stories, and perspectives into our mind. As Jason Silva said in his awesome series, Shots of Awe, happiness lives in the space of the new. You know, when people talk about the desire for happiness, when they talk about chasing happiness, I think what they're ultimately talking about is chasing novelty, because it's only the new that awakens the mind, that fully engages us with the world. We become Write that down. Another hint. Novelty. The new. See, one of our best friends and our greatest enemies in life is our autopilot. You ever drive to work, you arrive, and you have no recollection of driving there? You know that there were a handful of stoplights between your house and your business, but even under a lie detector test, you really couldn't say if they were green or red when you drove through them? Well, who was driving the car? The answer is your subconscious mind. And that can be a pretty awesome thing. And the fact that you can be preparing for a meeting in your head or singing your favorite song or thinking about what you want for lunch while your subconscious mind drives you to work, that's a pretty cool feature of this whole human being thing. However, in turn, think about how much you do on autopilot throughout your day. Routine can breed success, but it can also atrophy interest. So you need to shake it up every so often. What if for the next 30 days you drove a different route to work? Even if that was just a one-block detour, make it a game. Can you find 30 different ways to get there? Or maybe you decide to get your coffee somewhere different each morning for the rest of the month. Get yourself out of your routine. First benefit to that, you will get yourself conscious. Okay, Awareness is a great high. Secondly, who knows what the extracurricular benefits will be. Perhaps you'll meet someone you never would have met otherwise, or discover something just blocks from your house that you didn't even know was there, or turn on your senses in a way that most mornings you don't. And then you step into your day with a raised awareness, heightened senses. What would be different on any given day if you were just 5% more aware, 5% more on it, 5% more creative, 5% more positive? Now take that one day and compound it over three months, then a year, pretty huge shifts from just a couple of small changes.
We all get stuck sometimes. We get derailed. We have bad days. We go through periods of fog in our lives. And in those moments, time can warp. Sometimes it feels like it's flying by and nothing is changing. And other times it feels like it's slowed down to a crawl. And And we're we're not not getting getting anywhere. anywhere. And in those moments, I think our mentality is often, how do I get out of here? I don't know where I want to go, but I know this isn't it. Well, what if this isn't it? Is it? We should concern ourselves not so much with the pursuit of happiness, but with the happiness of pursuit. Ask people who have achieved great things in their life, what's it like at the top of the mountain? And often they will tell you they missed the days when they were still climbing. The meaning of life is not an answer. The meaning of life lives in the questions. It is an evergreen exploration of the world around you and within you. And things like progress and learning and novelty only exist in action, not stagnation. This isn't it, is it? There is no answer to look for. There is only experiences to create, questions to revel in, moments to manufacture, and others to share it all with. So perhaps, perhaps, we can finally stop worrying about the meaning of life and start enjoying the meaning in life. I decided to pay a visit to a friend in San Francisco to extend this conversation. She did her dissertation at Harvard, she teaches at Stanford, and is currently working with the organization that tops Fortune's best companies to work for list. All that said, I affectionately refer to her as Dr. Happy. I'm Laura Delazana. I have a PhD in psychology. I specialize in the application and practices of happiness, the science of happiness. We refer to this as positive psychology. And my passion in this is translating the science into practical day-to-day techniques that all of us can use, regardless of what we're trying to achieve. When we pick up our conversation, I had asked Laura about how much of one's happiness is connected to environment and how much is within us. So no matter what, we're not striving for perfection because that obviously is, is not attainable. Instead, what we're doing is we're trying to make the best of our day-to-day opportunities. We only get one life to live. Life is comprised of moments. You string those moments along, and what you get is a week. You get a decade. You get a lifetime. So how can we make the most of those moments? Part of it is changing our circumstances in whatever way that means so that it brings us more happiness. Part of it is within those circumstances, or no matter what we face, because we can't control all of them, obviously, making the best of what life affords us. Right. So how much, I mean, earlier in the show, I t- actually, one of the things I talk about is this idea of newness and novelty, and that, you know, oftentimes just getting out of your autopilot can kind of shift your perspective, right? So I gave a couple of little examples like, 
you know, driving to work a different way every day. Or when this is something I did years ago where I decided to get my coffee somewhere different every day for 30 days, just to like switch it up, you know? So when you talk about that stuff, how, and I'm sure it's different for everyone, but generally, how often do you find it's really these big things like, oh my God, I don't really like what I do. And how often do you find that maybe it's just these little minute things that if they shift these little things, it makes a big difference? Well, they say the devil is in the details. The magic is in the details as well. So often when I'm working with people, what I'm doing is taking them into their moment-to-moment experience to say, okay, what are the choices that I'm making, either internally or externally, to e- that are either going to increase my happiness or decrease my happiness? So yeah, for me, I, I call myself a novelty junkie. <laughs> <laughs> I love to travel, I love to explore, I love to adventure, whether that's within a conversation or going to the far reaches of Antarctica or something like that. Finding the things that bring me joy, it's up to me then I can make those choices to bring those things into my life on a day-to-day basis. So, for example, I I love my work. I'm super passionate about my work and I find great meaning in it. So, I derive a lot of joy and, and that elevates my happiness, my deep level of contentment and happiness. However, sometimes there can be a downside to loving your work, right? Yeah. It's that then if I'm not careful, I can make choices to work too much, to create imbalance in my life. I also love relationships and friends and having shared experiences. So in order for me to live a thriving life, I need to watch for that and say, I need both of those things in my life. I need to make choices on a day-to-day basis where I have experiences with friends and family and loved ones where we, we go out and, and we have fun together. We mountain bike and ski and do all these things that I love to do. And then I make choices that are going to direct my work in a way that feels like it's a full expression of myself. So... The show's called Where There's Smoke, and and one of the things I talk about in that is, you know, it's based on the idiom, where there's smoke, there's fire, right? Oftentimes, it's like everybody sees the smoke, but nobody is really understands where it's coming from, right? So, in your work, and in what you do as in positive psychology and happiness, what is it, you know, within companies that you feel that maybe people aren't seeing? Or maybe, is there something that you see that's happening within cultures around happiness that you feel you know, a lot of companies are really missing. I think people within companies, and, and, and we can talk about both levels. So we can talk about organization, a sort of top-down approach and attitudes and uh, philosophies of work. And we can also talk about it from bottom up. So as individuals, when we go to work, what kind of attitudes, preconceptions, assumptions are we making about how to work and how that work will bring us happiness? Okay, so organizations, what some organizations are missing, and it tends to be the sort of older organizations, the ones that are a little bit more old, old school in their approach, they're still operating on this mentality of the carrot and the stick. That if you reward hard work and, and present incentives, often monetary incentives, bonuses, then that's going to get people to work harder and their performance will improve. That is an old model. Instead, what the research is very clearly showing us is that the whole person needs to be taken into account. And when people are able to bring in 
their ideas, bring in their sense of meaning and connect what they're doing to the greater purpose of the organization and to their personal meaning and what's significant for them. When they're able to have the autonomy to be creative and, and when they have good relationships with their coworkers, when they actually like their coworkers and want to spend time with them, even outside of work, that is a thriving workplace. And a thriving workplace is a successful workplace. A lot of organizations are missing that. And then what about bottom-up? Is there anything that you see from that side? Bottom-up, what people often miss in, in life, and they bring this attitude to work as well, is they actually give up responsibility. They give up their opportunity for happiness and well-being. They go on autopilot, and we, because we all do it, so we go on autopilot, and we kind of forget. We forget to look around. We forget to notice what we're doing. And instead, we follow this sort of mindset what other people have given us. And, in, and we don't notice opportunities. We don't notice uh, what brings us joy. And if we notice, we don't take charge of it. So say there is um, a, a coworker that is being super competitive or, or uh, not collaborating with us in a way that was, seems like it would be most effective. Well, we could probably do something about that. So often we'll go instead to, to giving up control, essentially, to being mad, to feeling like it's unfair, and all of that may be justified. The question is, how can I best deal with this? And that is more in the realm of what we refer to as emotional intelligence. It's the emotional skills, the social skills, the ability to inspire, redirect, manage both our internal world and our external world, including those relationships, that makes the biggest difference in our success and in our enjoyment of our work. Right, right. So, so that actually makes me think about something else. And this is more, you can tell me if I'm wrong or right on this, but you know, when you think about emotional intelligence and how do we deal with our emotions and control our emotions and other people's emotions and people around us. I mean, it would seem to me that happiness is not about how can I make everything positive all the time? Happiness would be more about things are going to happen. There's going to be negativity. There's going to be, there's going to be pain. People in your life are going to die. How can I manage it? Or how can I stay content? Or how can I be okay with it and not have it devastate me? But I think you know where I'm getting at. So could you comment on that? Cause I think people sometimes think that happiness is all about like, Oh, how do I always be? But it's not right. The biggest misconception with happiness is that it's about cheer, joy, being gleeful, and in a good mood all the time. That's absolutely not what it is. That's a, that's a mood. That's a state. And that's easy to get to. We don't need to have science and research to tell us how <laughs> to like you know laugh and, and have cheer. Happiness is much deeper than that. When we're talking about happiness, we're talking about thriving. We're talking about firing on all cylinders, about living to your life's potential, and having more positive days than negative days. Yes, so that's part of it. It includes living the full spectrum of life, the whole human experience. So what that means is that in any given moment, maybe you're mad, maybe you're sad. You're engaging with whatever is there. If there's loss, then grieve. If there's a uh, someone's doing you wrong, then yes, get angry, please. Like, where's the outrage? That's part of living a life of thriving and flourishing that we call happiness. So it's the full human experience. And in fact, we define happiness and 
positive psychology as comprising five things. It includes positive emotion. So yes, having more positive emotions than negative emotions on average on a day-to-day basis. It includes engagement. So being in flow, being in the zone, having hobbies and activities and day-to-day experiences at work or at home that really grab you and take you in. It's also having positive relationships. We are indeed social animals. We belong to a tribe. We like to have connection. People report that their greatest joys often come from their relationships, that love is their highest and, and strongest emotion, and that shame or feeling embarrassed or be feeling rejected is their greatest source of pain. So having strong, positive relationships is crucial. And in fact, the top 10% of happiest people report one thing in common. It's not that they live in sunny California <laughs> or that they're in the Fortune 500 list. It's that they report having strong, satisfying relationships. So relationships are crucial. Also, having meaning in life. Having meaning, a sense that my life matters, what I do matters, purpose and depth. So I think of it as having kind of expanse in life and also having depth to experience. And the the fifth component of happiness is accomplishment. So we like to make progress. We like to achieve. And that creates a great sense of happiness and, and overall thriving in life. So we call that PERMA. Positive emotions, engagement, relationships, meaning, and accomplishment. That's what we're referring to with happiness. Wow, that's cool. I love that. I've never heard that before. Those five are awesome. All right, so I have to ask you this. I feel like you might have just answered it with PERMA. (laughs) But I started this episode, you know, as I do with this show, I kind of start somewhere and I go somewhere else. But I started it with a clip of Neil deGrasse Tyson being asked, you know, what's the meaning of life, right? And I don't expect anyone to have the answer to that. But if somebody asked you that, what's the meaning of life, what would your answer be? Live to learn, learn to love, and love to live. So at the heart, the meaning in life, I think, personally, and this is my own personal meaning, it's really about love. It's about loving each other. It's about loving ourselves. It's about loving life. How can we truly love our lives. We get this one life, right? Yeah. There's no dress rehearsal. <laughs> Seize the moment, go for it. So what does that mean? It's like, how can I best love this life that I have? Not that it's always going to be lovely, but how can we learn to love the opportunities, create opportunities, this life that we have that is an opportunity? Wow. Well, I think that's a great place to end. And I'm actually, I feel kind of good because I'm just, you know, you're, you're actually, you know, you have a PhD and this is what you do and you travel the world teaching happiness and positive psychology. And, you know, I'm just a guy who's kind of always been interested in how life works and how can I live a great life. And yet I feel like a lot of what you said resonates with what I said earlier. So I feel, I feel a little validated. Maybe I've figured some things out, which is cool. So the last thing I'll ask for, our, you know, our audience out there, where can they find you? You know, what are some of the resources out there? I know you've written a couple of books. You've got a new book that just dropped on Amazon. You've got a website. Where can people find you if they want to learn more about what you do? Choosinghappiness.com is my website. And it's, it's choosing happiness because I believe that that is, in fact, the key to happiness is that we can take charge by choosing 
consciously and intentionally a response. And I'll add a, a quote by Viktor Frankl. It's one of my favorite. Viktor Frankl is a psychiatrist who survived the Nazi concentration camp. So if anyone can say this, and he can come out of that experience saying this, pretty profound. He says, between a stimulus and a response is a space. And in that space, we have the power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. That's what I believe the key to happiness is. Choosing our response to choose positivity and possibility no matter what we face. Awesome. Well, Laura, I want to say thank you. Uh, we're sitting in Laura's uh, apartment in San Francisco. We have a beautiful view of the city. This is actually the first live interview I've done for Where There's Smoke. So we're sitting right across from each other, which is kind of crazy and cool. Um, so I just want to thank you for taking the time and, uh, and, and sharing the wisdom because it was some really, really great stuff in there for our listeners. Thank you, Brett. I appreciate you bringing me on the show. And I really admire what you're doing, bringing happiness to the world and talking about it, going deeper into the issues. Cool. All right. Thank you. That is almost a wrap for this episode. Before I get to the full credits, I want to say to everyone out there, keep using your voice to let us and others know what you think of the show. We are so appreciative of all the written reviews on iTunes. Couple of shout outs, Ty Elton for the very first written review. You can call me Scout, James Guanaca, VP Carter, Ian Piro who said these humans are unstoppable. Marketing book podcast that described their show as an intellectual fusion restaurant that has all all the best food from everywhere. And Jazzy Jeff, hey, please, please forward it to the Fresh Prince. Let's see what he thinks. Those are just a few of the people out of about a hundred or so that left us reviews globally in the first week. If you dig the show and you haven't yet, please consider heading over to iTunes, giving us five stars and sharing some words in a review. They matter and they really, really help the show. Also, you can leave a voicemail on our website at www.wherethere'ssmoke.co. Any thoughts you want to share, feedback, ideas, questions, I would love to mix in some of those voicemails into future episodes as well. Congratulations to our Episode 3 contributor, Tom Brady and the New England Patriots Super Bowl 49 champions. If you are still not sure about the difference between on time and late, just check out the replay of Malcolm Butler's game-clinching interception. It is a game of inches indeed. Where There's Smoke is written and hosted by me, Brett Gaida, and produced and edited by Nick Jaworski. Nick runs Podcast Monster and helps make your podcast sound awesome. You can find him at podcastmonster.com. Our theme song was written and performed by Des McKinney with additional music by Kevin McLeod. And to see show notes, which include links to all the clips we use in each episode and anything else we reference, go to www.wherethere'ssmoke.co. While you're there, you can join our mailing list. You can also do that by pulling out your phone right now and texting the word SMOKE, S-M-O-K-E, to 66866. Lastly, my MVP for this episode goes to six and three quarter year old Jackson, who kicked off this whole episode by asking Neil deGrasse Tyson, what's the meaning of life? Do yourself a favor, check out the YouTube link on the show notes page. Underneath the video, there's a great story of how Jack first asked his mother that question and the act of kindness that made it possible for him to be in the Wilbur Theater that night in Boston to ask Neil. With that, thank you for listening. We look forward to hearing from you this week on iTunes, on voicemail, on social media. If you dig the show, please share it, and we will see you next episode. <laughs>